Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. Mentoring is one of the most powerful tools there is for developing talent and leadership. It's also often taken for granted as something that anyone who's been working for a while can do, which is wrong. Being a good mentor doesn't just happen. It takes intention and thoughtfulness and both empathy and self-awareness and practice. So if you are or want to be a manager or a better mentor of any kind, this episode is for you. I'm talking with Kim Creighton, who's a business coach and a champion for many issues in tech, including diversity and inclusion, and she's also an expert on mentoring, among many other topics, in education and technology. I saw a talk that Kim gave on overcoming the challenges of mentoring, and I asked her to talk with me about how we can become better mentors. So thanks, Kim, for talking with me today about mentoring. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So, Kim, you have a lot of expertise and experience in this topic of mentoring, and you have a background in education, and and you do coaching, and you're in tech. So, you know, you're the obvious person to talk to about this. Um, But before we dive into talking about how we can be better mentors, I really would love to know what it is about this subject of mentoring, specifically in tech for you. What is it about that that's important to you? And and why do you think we should be talking about this? So there's a macro and a micro view. So the macro view is when you ask me, why is this important to you? Because I think it's important in any field, In, in almost any endeavor. I've always had someone to help guide me because there's so many unwritten rules in various activities, various professions or things that I've under wanted to undertake. And as it's widely available and it's the plethora of information that's on the internet, it's still a challenge to navigate any of that without someone who's been there or someone who has some kind of idea to help guide you. Um, and so that's the macro version of this of why I find it is so important. The micro version of it is the fact that tech moves so quickly that um, without guidance, it's rather like, I'll give you the example of why I've been so passionate about it in tech. And it's specifically with developers. Um, So everybody is, oh, you need to learn the code. Oh, you need to learn the code. It's so easy, blah, 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 blah. Well, coding is not easy. And we need to stop telling people that. But even with people who are prof- who become proficient at coding, being proficient at coding and finding a job is something totally different. And so there's like this big gulf uh, from finishing up a program, doing whatever it is to take those skills and to make them into something that's marketable. And I saw that again, I'm going back to the mic- macro as an educator. Um, school system is, is I call tell these students all the time, it's the artificial environment. It is not how the real world of work works. And so without mentors, the average person struggles because how you, how you become successful in school is not always, and I'm going to say is rarely 
the same as how you'll be um, you'll translate that into a professional career, because a lot of what schooling learning and is, is about is we have to be able to measure how far you learned or what you've learned. And that's not how it works in the real world. Mm-hmm. We put on teams. We have to work together. We have to collaborate. And that's a lot of that's not happening. And so without understanding how to traverse the learning and connect it to professional gaining professional experience, it's, it's a challenge for most people. So I think mentoring is like to me the major uh, a major way of doing that. Also, um, I'm currently pursuing a, um, a doctor's of business administration and I'm specializing in technology entrepreneurship. And my doctoral study is about knowledge sharing within organizations. And specifically what I'm researching is how do senior software development managers successfully transfer knowledge from themselves or whatever to um, new developers who come on their teams. Mm-hmm. A, a big thing is just about knowledge sharing. Knowledge is where the power is. Knowledge is where differentiation comes from. Knowledge is where profitability and ROI comes from. If you can't get that from someone to someone else, you're missing out on opportunities. Exactly. So it's, I mean, you you pointed out the benefits, I think, to all sides <laughs> right there. And, and what you're saying about um, the change happening so quickly and so many new people coming into technology, well, that's the same for all of UX, you know, the entire uh, UX as a discipline within technology as well. So it's completely the same. Well, yeah. And, and, and I want to draw a comparison also, because I, although I talk about development, I have an undergraduate in interior design. So I understand about design and, and, and all those kind of things. And actually, when I first entered into tech, that's what I had. My first mentor was a UX mentor. Hmm. Um, because I was interested in going into UX UI until I uh, realized that a lot of the opportunities that were out there, although he was pushing to make to make the change, companies are still looking at these people who have these formal educations. Whereas when you look at the surveys and the data, the majority of these have not studied those things. We have not gone to school for and we do not have degrees in these things. We've learned through experiences um, that we've had on the job or our hobbies, and we're bringing them into tech. And so that's another major reason why we need mentorship, because of, of, of the majority of adults who are transitioning into in these technical spaces, be it development, be it UX, be it um, data science, we're coming from other backgrounds. Yeah. So let's talk about those experts for a minute. I mean, there are people at, at many, many different levels who can be uh, fantastic mentors for for others. Um, but just because you have experience in something doesn't mean you're going to be a great mentor. You know, being a great mentor d- doesn't usually just happen for a lot of people. So I'm curious, what are some of the common issues or challenges that you've seen with people who are mentoring or maybe who are just starting out as mentors? Well, I'm going to say this before I even go any further. Um, the research has shown a bad mentor, and I'm going to put bad because we need to qualify that. A bad mentor is worse than having no mentor at all. Learning is such a fragile state. People who are learning something, who are experiencing something for the first time or they're just new at it, are in very delicate states of vulnerability. And if you don't have, you don't have the ability to create safe spaces 
for people to fail, to make mistakes, to question the process, I would recommend that you find other ways to assist people who need to be mentored. Is that something that that you feel can be learned or that you've seen people uh, learning to improve in that area? I, especially, you know, if someone is a manager, they're in a mentoring position and, um, you know, they may actually see that in themselves, but want to improve in that area. As adults, it has to be in desire. So just like learning to uh, um, learning UX, these are skills. If you know this, this is not something you can do or even want to do, please let someone know. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's talk a little bit about the people. Um, and I think there are a lot of people who are in this category based on you know, conversations I've had with folks um, who are probably good mentors or they're just fine mentors, but they'd like to improve. They feel like they could probably improve, right? Um, what are some, um, in the talk that I saw you give, you talked about identifying in ourselves the challenges each of us have as mentors. And, uh, so, you know, like what are some of those challenges to look for? And then, um, and then how do we go about improving those areas? So there's the professional and personal mentoring. When you're, when it's professional mentoring, there is a scope. There is a a there are boundaries around that. Adults. So if we're talking about professional adults, and adults already have knowledge, and you want to connect that knowledge, I find that the best approach for that is project based learning. You're already working on projects, so figure out ways to help them meet whatever goals that you've identified together through projects. And so those those are the challenges. The challenges are um, for a mentor to be able to, it's all, for me, it's all about having you challenge your own, I call it time, talent, and temperament. Evaluate those things first. Do What kind of time can you put to this? What is your, ta- what are your talents? Because some things, some you, someone might need to be mentored on and you're not the right person in the organization to mentor them on. So you need to connect them with somebody else. And then your temperament. And that goes back to um, if you find that you're a person who's not patient, if this is something you really want to do, then you need to work on that. If you find that you're disorganized, um, then you that's something you need to work on. But it also is an opportunity for a mentee um, because it's a reciprocal relationship to assist you. So it's, it's oftentimes the mentor mentee relationship kind of goes back and forth as a mentor. As I said, when you're mentoring youth, I'm always in the position of mentor and they're always in the position of mentee. Well, when adults, depending on what we're learning, we could switch roles. I could be a mentor on this topic and you can be a mentee and vice versa. So it's, it's about, finding those points of intersection and finding out how we can build on what you already know and ideally in a project-based environment. Yeah, the building on what you already know makes a lot of sense. Let's talk a little bit more, though, about um, how you have seen people um, become better mentors. Like, what are some of the techniques maybe that people uh, can use to to identify their challenges as a mentor and to to imp- make improvements in those areas. 
you have to understand um, when you are a mentor of adults, although you may be an expert in that thing, that person is not coming to you with nothing. So please treat them with respect. And also it's sometimes challenging to understand where your where your weaknesses are because they're your weaknesses. So if you um, are open to becoming a, a, a exemplary exemplar mentor, ask your peers to observe you giving directions, explaining something to someone, or explain it to them. How or even that mentee, have them after you've explained something, have them ask a question. Okay, so I took you through this process. What did you find challenging about what I said? What what are those things that were good that you'd like to see more of? Because a lot of times when we're talking about improvements, we often look at the things that we, quote unquote, are doing wrong and never evaluate those things that we're doing well that we can build on. So it's about being able to if self-reflect and then getting feedback from um, your peers who observe you doing certain things. And then that mentee, because um, I'll go back to development and I'm sure this is the same thing. I know this is the same thing in UX. If you're working with a mentee and they ask you a question about a certain tool you, you're using and the only thing you can say is that you've always used it, now this opportunity you for you to grow because there might be other might be other tools out there that are better that they can show you, tell you about or it's an opportunity for them to go, you can make that into a teachable moment. Hey, you know what? I don't know why I'm still using this tool. Why don't you go research some tools out there and bring them back to me and, exp- and you explain those to me and, and how they're different than what I'm using. So it's a collaborative, it's a collaborative moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that approach of um, getting feedback from the the people that you're actually mentoring. Um, and I think that feels uncomfortable for some people, but um, it's a really important step in understanding h- how you can improve. We need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Innovation does not happen in comfort. Yes. The status quo does not change in comfort. Great, brilliant ideas don't come from comfort. We have to learn to get uncomfortable, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Also, it's going to affect how you're your job long term in the field because things change so much. So you have to get just uncomfortable. I mean, comfortable with just learning new things, experimenting with new things, having new conversations, being around people you've never been around. All these kind of things bring are, are into play when you're talking about an information economy. Mm-hmm. So a very slight segue. Um, I, I, I do know people who have been disappointed with a mentor and I, and not necessarily because that was a bad mentor, um, or maybe they felt like they didn't get what they were hoping for out of the mentorship. Um, and some of this is on the mentor because mentees don't always know or articulate what they are hoping for. So, I mean, have, what are some ways that mentors can help mentees who aren't sure what they need? Well, that is more common than not, <laughs> because <laughs> as learners, we have this idea of, oh, we get, we know everything is not going to take us. Uh, oh, I can get this in two weeks. You know, we don't understand the learning process is you learn a you take two steps forward with a 
you add B and you take three steps backwards. And then you have to go back five steps to get to now just to connect A and B before you can get to C. People don't understand that's how the brain works. That's how learning happens. You have to connect different things. And so most mentors would come and say, I want to, let's say, they'll, they'll I mean, mentees, I want, I need a, a UX mentor. What do you want to learn? How to do UX. I mean, that's just it. Have, <laughs> that's kind of broad. They have, yeah. Yeah. They have no concept of how to even know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes, so what I advise mentors to do so that again, because now this is becoming a job that I didn't take on. This is now becoming into the personal realm. This is, so what I say to them is, and I put it back on the mentee because although mentors are the people who have the knowledge, adult mentees have a responsibility to do what's necessary. So they're not adding any additional burden burden to the mentor. So um, what I do is say, okay, then what I need you to do is go, go do a Google research, a, a Google search on three areas of interest that you have in UX, because maybe they didn't even understand what UX is. Mm-hmm. I'm all about let's finding our baseline and moving from there. Right. So they come from with three ideas. Now, if I, these are three areas that so maybe because when they say UX, maybe they the, what they actually want to do is learn how to use a, a, new, a tool or learn how to do wireframing. You know, it might be right. so a lot of variations. Exactly. So you put it back on them to figure it out because they're their adult and they need it's a process for them. So and so even if they come up with the three things and two months down the line, they realize that's not what they wanted. At least you've eliminated some things, but they've also moved forward because they learned something. So you say, OK, so these are three things that so they come to you with three things. All right. So this is my this is my perspective of these three things. Now, of these three things, after we've talked about it, choose one of these three things. So chosen one of these three things. Okay, again, it's an uh, um, it's a process that most people rush through. And that's one reason why the mentor relationship is not a great one, uh, um, because people are rushing on both ends are rushing through it. So now you've picked this one thing. All right. Now we're talking about this one thing. Let's what let's figure out what you know about this one thing. All right. And then that could be as simple as if I know something about using isn't the is it I keep wanting to say scratch, but it's not scratch. What is that software? Sketch? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's say you talk about sketch. Do you even know how to move things around in sketch? If you don't, that's where we start. We're going to look at sketch as if you've done absolutely nothing. But if you tell me you've used Sketch before and you know what you're doing, I'm not going to take that face value. Then you need to create a project to show me what you know, because now I can evaluate it. It's not subjective. These these are not um, subjective things. This is objective. These are the things I need you to do. I need you to create A, B, and C in Sketch. Right. If you can't do that, then I don't care what you say you know. You've demonstrated that you don't know how to do that. So now we need to go and do that. Once you've mastered that, then I'll add one more thing to it. Mm-hmm. I won't I won't over and add a whole bunch of I'll add one more thing because we need to connect because learning is about connecting. And then we'll keep doing that until you now have mastered the platform of sketch mm-hmm. or not even mastered. But you have an understanding. I can send you out on your own and you can do some projects. 
Yeah, and I think um, for people who are who are considering mentoring, especially if they're managers, I think uh, one good sort of topic to go explore. You can Google it because there's lots of articles on this. Is is how to build mastery in others? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That becomes where I see the friction in the mentoring relationship because mentors are expecting people to move faster than what they can with learning. Mm-hmm. Some people, because you have to understand about learning styles and all these other things. Some people can pick up things, one part of something really quickly, but can't, I mean, there's a whole lot to that. And then you have the frustration of the mentee who thinks that they should be moving faster when they really can't be moving faster. And so it's about being honest about that and being transparent about that and saying, hey, I've given you these objective assignments. This is where you are. Now, if you want to move faster, then maybe you need to be putting more time, doing more more research on your end, all these other things. Right. But what I find a lot of times is that many of the mentoring programs that are set up by companies are not realistic. They're not taking into account um, the reality of the mentoring process. And I'm going to, I want to bring up something because this is something that I've covered in my research. There's a difference between coaching and mentoring. Mm-hmm. Coaching is usually someone in the same job or right above you who is teaching you how to do that job. A mentor is about overall professional development. Coaching is a short term. Okay. I have a problem right now. Let me let us fix this. I'm going to coach you through this. Mentoring should be seen as long term professional development, mm, which is not what you get when you have mentoring those mentoring programs at businesses. Typically, it's a like a two month, three month sort of thing. right? Yes, exactly. If you're not matching up for a long term relation, because, again, mentoring is about I didn't talk about this, but this is what I talk about it. The basis of of mentoring and what is absolutely necessary is the development of a relationship. Mm -hmm. That takes time. That (laughs) doesn't happen in two weeks. Mm -hmm. When you're coaching someone, I don't need to have a relationship with you. I observe what you're doing. I come in, I coach you on it. Well, so this actually is a really nice segue into our mini mentoring brainstorm for this episode for this week, because... Some of the things that you're talking about may be what you are going to refer to when you come up with some ideas for this person. So the mini mentoring brainstorm is a question that I or a scenario that I've gotten from a a UX practitioner about something related to the topic that we're talking about, which this week is mentoring. So are you ready for this, Kim? (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Let's go. Okay. All right. So this week I have a question from Nyla uh, and she says, I'm mentoring a designer who's in another part of my company. And she began with a clear objective of what she wants to get out of the mentoring. And she is proactive and attentive, which is all great. But my approach is to ask questions to help a mentee come up with their own solutions. And this time when I ask questions, I get a lot of, I don't know, or I'm not sure answers, even when I probe. So then I default to giving advice, which she writes down, but I'm not sure those are the right solutions for her. Any tips to get her to think for herself more or open up more in our conversations? Let's start modeling behavior. So if you're asking questions and she doesn't know, 
I do this all the time. Okay, come sit right next to me and let's Google this together. Let's find out what the answer is. Because maybe let's we're going to assume zero. So we don't want to assume that she, this individual even knows how to get to the answers that are being asked. So if your approach is to question, let's figure out a way to demonstrate and model how she can start doing that. For herself, and then that becomes a tool because if she's already proactive and all these other things, it doesn't seem like it comes from a place of I don't care or I'm too lazy to figure it out. It sounds like she just doesn't know how to get to the answers that you're seeking. So let's demonstrate to her how do you do that? Yeah, I have come across this when people are being asked things about what they want or you know like their goals, their own goals, and and those sorts of things where they have to probe inside and maybe they don't know at that moment. I think if we were going to take this approach to demonstrate how to find out those answers, maybe one approach would be talking about a time when you didn't know and how you found out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Modeling behavior. As an educator, we had to model all the time. Model behavior. Follow me. Do what I do. <laughs> and then, and then, And that's called scaffolding as well. Because then over time, they're able to. So let me give you an example. I had a, I have a business client and we were working through her core values because she needs to understand how to make what she calls squishy things measurable and, up, uh, and operational. So we're talking about core values. Most people use core, va- their core values. They're thinking about these adjectives. Well, how do you make these adjectives measurable and operational? So she was just like frightened of this because she didn't want to take the heart or the spirit out of this, out of these core values. So when she talked about one of her core values was making beautiful things, people would think, how do you operationalize or measure making beautiful things? So I asked her, okay, so I got you. What to you is a beautiful, in in your business, what is a thing that would be a beautiful thing? What thing that would happen? And she was like, oh, maybe a phone call or email. Okay, let's talk about emails. What for you would be an indicator of success that you've written a beautiful email? And we talked about that. And so you just break it down and break it down. And now at the end of our coaching section, everything she was talking about went went back to being able to measure and operationalize it. That's really interesting. I really like the squishy things (laughs) that we believe give us the spirit of the things that uh, we're passionate about, I guess, and making them measurable. I like that approach. Yeah, because it's necessary. I mean, you have to, you're not being measured, you're not able to measure stuff. You cannot manage what you cannot measure. So even in mentoring, you shouldn't be able to manage these things. And so if you're not putting things, and that's why I'm saying, that's why I love project-based learning, because that's something that's measurable. Right. This has been a really Fun and interesting conversation, Kim. (laughs) And there's so much more. I feel like we just, I know that we just, just scratched the surface. I completely understand that. No, this is how you said that. Okay. It was like, what? That was, you said a lot. I'm like, yeah, I realized. I can can cram a lot into 30 minutes. (laughs) Well, that's good because, yeah, like 30 minutes just flew by like that. Um, But, But before I let you go, I have a couple Uh last questions for you. Uh Um, One is, what are some resources that you would recommend for folks who want to look into mentoring or who want to improve their mentoring skills? 
I'd say start looking at some research on mentoring. I would seriously say this is something you're serious about. You need to start looking at the research of how what works under different environments. Are there good resources for that that you know of? Um, yeah, Google Scholar. Okay. <laughs> I have access to databases that the average per, um, person doesn't have because I'm in school. But um, a lot of the articles that are peer-reviewed articles can be found on Google Scholar. That's where I start my research, put in a topic. And you can also look at, and I would say Google Scholar just because I'm talking research-based. There are a lot of peer-based um, or secular-based regular news stuff that has these slants to them depending on who's writing them. But if you're seriously looking at, particularly in a business, an organization, particularly if you've been charged with developing a mentoring program, I would say look at the research. That's really going to help you and also make the case and the argument for the financial resources and the time resources that are needed to make it successful in an organization. You need to be able to sell that. Mm. So the formal peer reviewed, documented re- academic research. Great. And then um, lastly. Oh, also, oh, sorry. Yeah. There is a CRAMS, K-R-A-M. I think that's her last name because I have the books. You can get these books. One is the Handbook of Mentoring in the Workplace, and it's by one author's last name is R-A-G-I-N-S. And the other one is Kathy Cram. And she's like, anything by Kathy Cram is going to be helpful. She's been writing about mentoring in the workplace and doing research for years. And it's K-R-A-M. Oh, great. And that's Kathy with a K. Yeah. Okay. I'll be sure to put links to those in the show notes also. Yeah. She is like the the guru on mentoring in the workplace. Great. Okay. And then lastly, how can people follow you and, and hear more great advice from you? I am on Twitter at K-I-M-C-R-A-Y-T-O-N-1. So Kim Creighton 1. And I also just launched a new website called, it's actually hashtag spelled out, causescene.com. Mm. And it is focused on the deliberate disruption of improving tech spaces for all. So it's inclusion and diversity at, in organizations, in tech cultures, and at tech events. Oh, cool. Maybe that's something we can have another conversation about <laughs> in the future. Oh, yeah. That's something I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm big on right now. Um, because we keep having these conversations and they're going nowhere. And one of the issues is a lot of people don't understand, again, I'm a researcher, that inclusion and diversity are good for business, period. But they also don't understand how to make that work, um, what strategies and what things they need to be doing. And when I talk about when I talked about core values before, that's one of the main things when you have solid, a solid foundation of core values every decision you make goes back to them and you're less likely to have an environment that is exclusive Mm -hmm. of thoughts, ideas, and people. And we cannot create products and services for a global market from one or two perspectives. Yeah, that's great because I think there's a lot of talk about it online and and in the news and, but yeah, what's, what's really happening. So exactly. It's, it's the new marketing furries. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Awesome. Kim, it's been really great talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me and you have a wonderful day. 
You can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes at uxcake.co and connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And as always, thank you for joining me for another slice of UX cake. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week.